try to keep that positive message of you know what you wear is not just the material aspect of it but there's the values that come along with it and there's something positive about it that makes it more valuable Welcome to In Conscious Conversation with me, Janice Summer. This is a podcast about small brands with a big vision and the journey of how they get there. We believe in celebrating brands that allow us to live our values. Beyond the greenwashing and curated feeds, we'll be diving deep into what these brands really stand for, what makes them tick, and what keeps them up at night. Come join us on the ride. episode of In Conscious Conversation. I'm really, really excited to have my dear friend Lucia here, who is the founder of an amazing luxury cashmere brand that is kind to nature. It is made from 100% surplus material. It's insured for life. It uses 92% less water and it is carbon negative. So that is just an amazing start. Thank you so much, Lucia, for being here. Hello, Tani. Hi. So happy to have you. So I think just to get started, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about Manskin and what it is. Sure. Yes. As you know, Janice, well, I, I have a background in international relations and I have been an entrepreneur all my life. In the past five years of my life, I have spent it researching and doing micro and macro changes in my life um, regarding sustainability, trying to make my life more sustainable. And at some point, of course, I had to um, answer this question of how to also approach my professional life in a more sustainable way. And in that moment, Right after I, my, I finished my studies in sustainability, I have met Denise, the co-founder of Manskin, and she's a mother of three, and she had a full-time job, um, and she, and her big passion was making knitwear, and and she did some amazing knitwear, and it was like a small project. She had a passion project. And she was using organic yarn and uh, natural dyes. It was really, really nice. And I realized that I, I, I really wanted to help her with that. And knitwear is something that was always very close to me. And that is super important. It's, it's a, the basic thing I always carry with me in my luggage everywhere I go. And then I, I decided to work with her. And I told her, okay, if we're going to do this, the only way we can do this and make it interesting is by taking it to the next level to make the most sustainable knitwear that we can make. Mm -hmm. We both share a sweet spot for minimalism and slow living. So for us, it was really important to design something that was very natural for mm -hmm. everyday use, but at the same time was elegant and cozy and practical 
and something that would not get out of season, like classic. So we started designing that, the, the product and the concept from, from that starting point. And we, we decided to start very, very small. So we started with a minimum viable product mm -hmm. for us. It was a knitwear that we would use every day and that would be our favorite knitwear to wear. Yeah. So, so that's how we started. And, and we started working on every detail of the production. Where did it come from? What was the process? And for us, the very first thing that, that we, we saw during the research on knitwear was the amount of resources that is wasted in the life cycle of the yarn, like water, like emissions, because these yarns travel from Mongolia, from Patagonia, mm -hmm. and then the animal welfare involved in the, in the process, all of the work, and the water also. And once it gets to the factories, there's everything, all the emissions that, that come from the, the manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. More CO2 emissions, energy, uh, more water, and the chemicals used in the process, in the dyeing process as well, that, that pollute the water. Yeah. Right. So taking this into consideration, we realized that the best way to, to make a sustainable knitwear was to find, to source ourselves with surplus material. Yeah. But there was another issue here, that is what do factories do with the surplus material? Once they, they do the cuts for their, for their garments, where does, the, where does that surplus go to? Okay. And usually it was burned or it would end in landfills, which is really bad for the environment. Yeah, that is terrible. Absolutely awful. It's the kind of thing that, at least for me, I didn't even know about this until I started my own journey being interested and caring about sustainability. It's something that doesn't even cross your mind. And I think it's something that a lot of consumers aren't even aware of. So it's so interesting to then meet a brand who starts off by using the surplus because then the consumer is like, hey, this exists somewhere out there. I didn't even know. Yes, exactly. Okay, and then? It's interesting as well because we're talking about knitwear that is very high quality, right? So because quality is also an issue. In order to be sustainable, we have to make garments that will last a lifetime so so in that sense uh this the surplus material as well is material is very high quality mm -hmm. so by using this as, as a raw material we were getting rid of two environmental problems on one hand like this waste or what to do with this waste yeah and on the other hand well avoiding sourcing yourself from raw material and giving a second life to this surplus. So how did you find the surplus material that you decided to use? Did you just research if there were factories that were uh, reusing these surplus materials or did you contact brands themselves to ask them what they did with the surplus? Like how did you find it in the first place? Well, there was a, there was a long research. I... I was also looking what what brands that, that lead the example in sustainability were doing, like Patagonia. 
and, and by studying the life cycle of the bjorns, we met a startup based in Italy called Reverso that did exactly this. They were sourcing a surplus material and they were um, doing the whole process involving people from, from different social backgrounds to give them a job in doing the separation and doing the, the classification by color, by type, etc., which is a very, very difficult job before we can re-yarn that surplus material. So this process was key, and I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been possible without the help of all these other startups that are in the supply chain and this collaboration. Okay. So it's, there's the companies that have the surplus and they give their surplus away. There's these cooperatives that uh, work on, on classifying the surplus. There's these startups that brings in the technology and there's the manufacturer that does the reordering with a very special technology. Mm-hmm. So it is a community of, of different stakeholders that, that help us bring this together and, and make it happen. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing. I also like what you mentioned about how the startup itself um, gives new work opportunities to people of different um, social backgrounds. So it's this whole idea of people, planet and profit. So you're really also looking into the livelihoods of the people on, on different parts of this community. That's really interesting. And so maybe just to go back to this process of separating and then classifying the yarns, um, you said by color and by type. This means that basically once the yarns have been separated out, you have like a a pile of maybe red cashmere fibers or wool or actually, how did you decide to go for cashmere or wool? Like what, which, which yarns did you decide to choose and what was the decision-making process behind that? Well, there's, there's a whole design process um, where we identified the need like depending on the, if it is a sweater, if it is a yeah, jumper, or if it is a scarf, usually use different kinds of yarn. So we thought it was good to have a combination of, of different yarns with different products using, for instance, Merino is really good. It's a very nice organic yarn. And the way it folds, it, make, it makes it more gracious as well. So using Merino, it's really nice. Cashmere, it's really nice as well, but the mixing cashmere with other elements, other types of walls, th- these different combinations are really are really nice because you can play around it and they have a different luminosity. So I'm not a designer, but uh, Denise is really good at, at choosing the, the yarns because of this. And I just watch them and I can tell her what I like and what I don't. Mm-hmm. So the good thing about it is that everything can be recycled everything and in this upcycling process what we do is we don't downgrade the material that is being recycled but on the contrary we're giving it more value so it's not something that people are going to look at it like oh no it's been recycled you know it's like second hand we try to keep that positive message of you know what you wear it's not just the material aspect of it but there's the values that come along with it and there's something positive about it that makes it more valuable so trying to 
rethink the way um, we conceive value and the way we, we, we value as well the, the garments that we wear. Kind of to, to think more long-term, to have a piece of clothing that, as you were saying before, that you want to wear forever, and that's not going to go away with the trends after a season, but to not only be wearing something that you understand the story, but that you really believe that it represents what you stand for and who you want to be in the world. I would love to kind of go back to this whole um, supply chain that we were talking about. So you said you found this startup in Italy, and then it was about separation of the surplus yarns, then classifying by color, then re-yarning. Is that the same Italian startup, or is that another company that does that? Yes. Okay. It's. I mean, it's a partnership of different... So, so the startup has technology, the cooperative has the people that work for it. Then there is a knitting company that, that is very high-end and then it has the technology to re-yarn so that you don't lose the quality. So, so that's, that's the other thing that was really positive is that we didn't have to compromise quality for doing this. And like I was saying, yeah, being able to work with cashmere, with wool, with wool, different wool blends, give us also the flexibility to make garments that are also interesting and, um, and, and, and the optimal thing about it is that they also work with a special protocol that minimizes the use of chemicals throughout the process and and this for us is key mm -hmm. and the other reason why we work with a special range of colors that are very natural Mm -hmm. is to defend this idea of natural dyings and, and the chemicals used in the dyeing process. Interesting. And then so after the re-yarning process, what happens next? So after the re-yarning process, there's the knitting process. <laughs> so where the where the knitwear comes alive, comes to life. And what we do is we have a factory, there is a boutique factory. They work with women and Of course, we use the machines for, for, for doing the knitting. The finishes are done by hand, of course. And, and those details that makes a difference of our pieces. And is that done in Italy as well? So this is the good part about it. So we do the mining in Europe because the raw material is in Europe. It's in Italy, actually. And then we do the classification in Italy, the manufacturing in Italy. And the sales are done in Europe. So actually, there's very, very little movement of, of our material and our processes throughout the, the whole production. Because in the end, it all happens in the same geographical region. And, and that's also a big advantage in terms of CO2 emissions. Okay. And then you have the final product ready. Where are you selling your, your um, items at the yes. moment? And what is the thought process behind that? We're selling in Sweden, because my, my, my partner is Swedish. And then we're selling in uh, London as well. And then directly over your website as well, right? And then directly over the website, yes. Okay. And maybe to go back to the name, Manskin, what, where, how did you come up with this name and, and what does it mean? Well, it was very funny because we were sitting down 
I think it was the second day after we decided we were going to do this. And we were, come, we were going through words in Swedish that would represent what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And we also were paying a lot of attention to sonority of the word and the aesthetics of the word. So sonority, that means the sound? The sound, yes, the sound of it. And and then when Denise suggested man's again, I just really, really liked that word because of symmetry, because of the way it sounds. And then when I looked up for the meaning, moon, moonlight, it was just perfect. Moonlight, oh, that's beautiful. Yes, I love the word moonlight. And not only that, but on top of the of an of the A, which is which is pronounced like an O. Ah, so it's mo- so it's monskin. Exactly. Monhuen. Monhuen. It's very hard to pronounce. <laughs> oh, oh I love it. <laughs> I love it. Wait, say it again. Monskin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's really, really hard to pronounce. Um, but it has, I really like that it has this little circle on top of, of, of the A, that it's like a moon. It's like a full moon. Mm-hmm. So there was this game around the word that I really liked. And yeah, it just felt really great. And it could be read in, in very different languages. And if you read really fast in English, it feels like like skin, right? Like a man's skin, a man's skin. Ah, yeah. The skin that you wear when you're wearing a, a knitwear. Yes. Oh, amazing. That's so nice. I didn't know about this deeper meaning behind it. And I guess what strikes me when you when you were talking about the circle above the A, that's like a moon, it's also very much taking back in this concept of circularity that you've built into your entire business model or being sustainable. And that's something that we haven't spoken about actually so far, which I love as well that you've told me that you guys have an insurance policy on the sweater that you sell. Could you maybe tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so 100% um, circularity is all across our processes. And it, it also embeds femininity, which is at the core of our for design and and the way we conceived this business right and and so the way we closed the circle because at the moment i was i was telling you all the story about how we found the raw material how we produce it how we we sell it um but then there's the other half of the circle how does it go back into the circle again Mm -hmm. so in order to do this the first thing we commit we decided to commit to was to give life insurance to our garments so that if anything happens, if it breaks, if it stains, if it has, yeah, whatever happens, we will fix it. And in this way, we can assure that our customers are going to be happy customers um, and they will keep these garments forever, which is the idea, that they don't end back on the landfill Amazing. And and then we we also decided to use um, reverse supply chain um, for those yeah for, for those people that want to get rid of their old knitwear and want to give them a second life. 
we're also accepting their old knitwear and we are um, sending them to, to upcycling. So this can be any knitwear, not necessarily from you, but anything that the customer anyway, has in their closet. Yes, yes. Oh, that's incredible. This is a good okay. way to give back as well um, from and continue with the circle. Yeah. Amazing. That's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's really cool. And the way it works is that in the same stores where we sell, we have a place where people can leave their their old knitwear. So, so what we do is we use the same logistics for the sales as for the recycling. So we're saving as well emissions while doing this. Amazing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, there's something else that we spoke about because to listeners who don't know this, Lucia is a very, very dear friend of mine and we've spent a lot of time talking about these subjects. But something that you mentioned to me last time that I really loved was about what it means to support small business and what it means to support the change. Maybe you could say a little bit about that because last time you were just saying some, some really wonderful things that, that you believe how we can change this industry by doing exactly this. So the kind of people that I'm talking to on this podcast, they are small businesses that really... As, as you've discussed, know the whole supply chain, the whole story, and every single small aspect is thought through. So, yeah, maybe you could say a few words about this. Yes, I would love. Yes, I would love to because I've been. I mean, this is not my first startup. <laughs> I've I've done many, and I know how how hard it can be. Now, in some way, this is a different startup to me as well. Because it was the first time I, I allowed myself to do it in my own way, allowing myself to be more patient, not to focus only on the business model, to bring my values on, bo on board and to have them all across every, everything I did in Manskan. And... And I have to say that it was really, really rewarding. And, and this is what I meant when I said we included femininity in everything we do. Because it's this archetype that femininity embeds of helping others, you know, acting like a circle. So I know I'm not going to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. So then the rest of, of startups out there, they're not my competitors. We are a community of people trying to bring change forward. And we're together in this. We're together in trying to change the way the system works. Because, because we see where it's going and we see inequality growing and we see our environment being endangered. And, and we see that our future generations are not going to be able to to enjoy what we have enjoyed, like we have enjoyed nature. So, so, mm -hmm. so it's really, for me, it was really important to make this shift of mindset, of thinking of startups and doing entrepreneurship in a way of, you know, flowing with doing something positive, doing something that pays forward, right? And, and allowing myself to be helped and help others in the process. 
amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah, but like, like what you're doing, Tani, is like bringing together people that think alike, that want to bring this change. You know, this is already a space that you create that will inspire others and that it's like a container, right? A container for, for another way of doing things, right? It's not mainstream, but very slowly we're making it mainstream and I think that's what's important. Yeah, it's about creating a community of people who share the same values in a way and who want to promote those values to be more more common. Yes. And one thing that you said to me last time, which I loved, I even wrote it down, and I just want to say it on here so that we have it on record, but I love that you said, I'm quoting you directly from our last conversation, the way that I conceived Manskin is a living organism and not a machine. This changes everything. It lives within an ecosystem and it has principles that it stands for. I just love that. To have this full awareness of the ecosystem, of everything that it touches, and to have them very solidly backed up by principles and that basically if you're supporting a small business, you're, you're much closer to everyone around you. You find ways to make things work and everyone in your whole supply chain and everyone in your team is people that you really care about. Yes, yes. And as, you, as you know, I have a big passion for gardening and, and this is something that you see in the garden and I think it's, it applies to everything. The more diverse your, your garden, so the more like different plants you have and different flowers and different colors, the more bountiful it becomes afterwards when you when you harvest and and this is because because it's really like that right when for instance when we look for for the the, the platforms or the places where we sell the shops we really like that there's many different types of 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 colors and and ideas and designs, you know, it, it's like the diversity makes it even more, more interesting and more special, right? Definitely. So, and I think this is a concept that 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 applies to everything when we look for what we consume as well in a conscious way. It's about not being the same as the person that's next to you. It's about allowing ourselves as well to be different and embracing yeah. that difference. And yes, and, and life is richer when we bring that diversity in. It's like that. Amazing. That's so true. Um, maybe we can go back to one of the practical questions that I've always found people to be curious about. Maybe because some of the people that I would like to inspire on this podcast journey is people who've thought about starting their own businesses and just don't know where to begin. So how did you how did you fund it initially? Where I mean there are surely minimum orders to make of the factories and beginning these partnerships. You need some kind of funding to get you started. How did you how did you do that? Yes. Well in my case it started with savings and and the way, I mean, this is another, another thing that I think is very feminine as well. Um, having worked in the entrepreneurial world, I saw that 
for us women, it's a lot harder to ask for money or to adapt ourselves when we start a project because we, we just, we're not risk takers. We're actually very cautious about it. Mm-hmm. So, so it was really important for me to understand that I was starting small. I said, okay, this is going to be a prototype, right? So yeah, let's make one sweater, one jumper that is going to be as sustainable as I can make it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't start, you know, I, I, at the beginning I had this idea of starting a whole collection. And, and then I realized that it, wasn't, that it wasn't the best way to start because I would incur more costs that what I would want to at the beginning. And I, the first thing I needed to do was to prove my, my hypothesis and, and see how people were reacting to it and, and, and then do that circle off. So this is what you were saying. So this minimum viable product. Yes. So it's just one rather than starting really big um, to take one and to perfectionize it. Yes. And, and I think that was a, a really good thing to do because then it becomes, it becomes a lot easier to protect from there. And, and, and you become more confident about what, what you do. And, and there's always space to grow afterwards. But to me, and this is another way with, in which I made this startup different from the previous ones, is I took it at my own pace. So minimum viable product, taking, like being very patient, waiting for the yarns to be, uh, to be in stock, because sometimes they're in stock, sometimes they're not, sometimes the colors are available, sometimes they're not. So be patient, always stay on the vision of what I want to build and and just yeah start building but with a with my own rhythm right so this is something that again it makes sense thinking the the brand as a living being and give them as well their own pace to grow right when you have a baby like you don't ask him to grow from from one week to the next right you you wait for him to grow and to learn so this is very similar. Like it's like a living being. It's growing. It's slowly. That's so nice. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's really nice to think about it to me that way. And um, yeah, and just being patient. It 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 pays off in the end, I think. And it's it's a, again a different way of doing business where it's not about you know going high and up. It's about growing, slowly, organically growing, but at your own pace. That's amazing. I love that. And and where do you see where do you see the future of Manskin going? Do you want to just continue slowly growing piece by piece, adding another collection? Are you planning to do men's items as well, or is it just going to be for women? Yes, actually, you're just tackled on. I was talking about that today. Yes, we just had a meeting with Denise yesterday. We already had the designs of the other items we wanted to bring on the collection. One of them is a unisex, so it's not only for men. <laughs> it's a unisex jumper, and it's inspired on the sea. So it's called Ulysses. And the idea about it is that it's something that men can wear, that women can wear, a little bit oversized. And it's the same concept. It's a it's the same concept as the other ones, 
But well, we are also including something for men. Amazing. <laughs> also, I have to say, as a typical girl, there's nothing I love more than wearing a cozy men's jumper, ideally stolen from a boyfriend. <laughs> That's always the best. <laughs> Just a little bit oversized, you know, so that you can show a little bit of your elbow if you want. Yes. Exactly. That's so nice. And then um, I was wondering maybe if you could tell me how long exactly have you been have you been running Manskin? Like from the first time that you had the idea until the time when you had the first sample in your hands. How long was that process? So we started with the idea in July last year. So it was a little bit more than a year ago. And then we started with the research and then we, mm -hmm. we found the raw material that we wanted to work with. And then we had to start knowing everyone in the supply chain, right? The factory, who to work with, how they work. So you have to order this, the, the raw material, send it to the factories, check the samples, talk to them. So all of this takes a long process. It took us like six months. And then we also had COVID happening in the middle. And, mm -hmm. and then, of wow. course, slowed down, slowed down everything. Of course. Um, especially in Italy. <laughs> so... So yes, we had to be very patient. It wasn't something like from one day mm -hmm. to the next. We, and it wasn't linear at all. We were cycling and, yeah. and, and we were adjusting things on the way. So I have to say, I'm, I'm glad that it was this way because, I, because we feel very confident now about what we're doing and the processes that we're handling. And because we took the time to check everything, because we had the time for that. So would you say that the biggest challenge has been to maintain this drive and vision while having to be patient and to face all of these external hurdles that are out of your control? Or, or what do you think, what would you say has been the hardest thing and what have you learned from it? No, I, I definitely think you're, you're right. I think the biggest challenge was actually to deal with expectations, right? And, and this comes with learning to be patient. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was, it was a big lesson, for me especially. And, and, I, and right now, yes, we, I have to say that's one of our strengths, that, that we took that time and that we were patient and, and we became resilient as well to different uh, contexts. So, and, and as well, this helped us grow as, as partners and know each other. And I think that's key for any startup, the, the relationship between partners. Definitely. And having a partner is always super important because you're not on your own. And sometimes yeah. you, you know, there's ups and downs and, and there's always a need for, for someone to be next to you and take take over the control when you're, when you're not on the, on the apps. And it, it's really rewarding, I think. Amazing. To, and always to have a confrontation, right? In, in terms of, you know, someone that tells, tells you your opinion and maybe has another way of seeing things. And I think this confrontation is really positive because it, uh, it challenges you and it challenges the, what you're trying to build and your ideas was part of the collective 
work and collective learning, and it's so important, right? I think two minds always think better than than one, mm-hmm. and so that's really good. And then outside of your partnership, did you also have some kind of mentors or advisors or external people who helped you along the way? Um, yes, yes, I did have many of them. So I had, for instance, a friend of mine is a director of innovation for Decathlon, and he's he he's bringing all of this system change to to his company, and. I had many conversations with him, and he's very inspiring. Amazing. I mean, Decathlon is a huge company. That's so interesting. Yes, it's a huge company, and he's bringing all of these changes from within. It's um, it's very brave of him, and I really admire him as a, as a person and in his role. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got really inspired as well by Christine Tompkins, which I have met. I was lucky to meet her. She was one of the founders of Patagonia. Ah, oh, that's incredible. Yes, and she does a lot of work in conservation in Latin America. She's a truly inspiring person. And and I think she was also always one of those persons that just, since I've met her, I it changed the way I saw things. And I think it gave me a direction and, and meaning or confirmation of, of where I was going. So definitely her. And I think just everyone that was around me, like you, Janice, like all of my, the people around me that all these meaningful conversations that I've been having for the past years, I think I, think I, I have to be grateful to all of them because um, any other person, I just brought something that would, of course, help me um, be who I am and be able to do what I do with Manskin. So definitely a circle of women around me. That, that was that was key. I love that. And then maybe finally, just to kind of start closing it off, what do you think is something that we can all do in our everyday lives to to live in a more sustainable way? Well, um, there's so many things we can do, but I always suggest a very simple one because it's really, really simple and makes a huge difference. That is to call, to check in your energy supplier and to switch your energy supplier to a green one if you don't have one already. So that's the first one, which is really easy and it makes a huge difference. And then the second one would be to to have your own garden. It doesn't matter how small, it can be very small, but just the act of composting and saying how that compost becomes such a fertile earth. Like you saw, Janice, my terrace, I had some wild tomatoes growing from my compost. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it's your a, terrace. It's amazing <laughs> that from compost, you, you have all these surprises, like life and nature always gives you back if, if you're able to be attuned with it, right? And just the minimum thing we can do is, is just composting and I think it's it's a very good way of staying connected with this circle virtuous circle and then my I, th- I think the third thing I would suggest people to do is be very gentle with themselves and really live a life 
that is coherent and aligned with what makes them the most happy. So is it, for instance, uh, I feel really happy when I ride my bicycle or when I, when mm -hmm. I'm with the people I love. When, so it's like if we, it's in the end, it's so simple, the things that make us the, the most happy that, that it just, it just turns superfluous, right? It, it just turns redundant of the things that doesn't bring us that joy. And I think that's a very good way of simplifying our lives. I love that. That is so nice. And just, um, yes, aligning our happiness and well-being with, with the well-being of, of the earth and nature. So, yes, I think those are the three, the three things I, I would definitely start with. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. One last question for you. Is there any kind of book or podcast or blog or even another brand that you really admire that you would like to recommend to our readers to take a look at? Our readers, sorry, our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, so many. So for, for the book, I have so many books I have to recommend. I don't know where to start. But... <laughs> Well, I definitely recommend Capra. Mm -hmm. What is that? It's called The Web of Life, Fritzhoff Capra, or okay. The Tower of Physics. It's, when it's, it's not The Web of Life, it's um, The System's View of Life, or The Tower of Physics. Okay. So it's a very good, I think it's a very, very good way to start to get a glimpse on, on system thinking. Interesting. Okay. Oh, and, and, and how things work in nature, right? With all its complexity. So I think that's a very good book. And it definitely helped me a lot. Interesting. And then I really recommend any book by Otto Schammer. He was the creator of Theory U. And cool. I studied with him. He, He created the school for system change, and I really like everything related to his work. Amazing. He's doing an amazing work, awakening people around the world on system change. And um, yes, I really like this idea that things have become, systems have become so complex that their biggest challenge as humanity is to, to adapt our social, economic, and political systems to catch up with that complexity. So do you think it's a matter of catching up to it or do you think it's a matter of finding ways to reduce complexity and slow it down? Or do you think that's something that can't really be done anymore? Yes, I, I mean to, to adapt in the sense of acknowledging that it's complex, right? I feel like because things have gone so complex, but we, are, we haven't embraced that complexity of things yet or acknowledged it. We, our re first reaction to things is to polarize. Good, bad, right? I'm, I'm for, I'm against. So I think our society has, it has, well, it's really polarized at this moment. And it's embracing complexity and understanding it um, creates this space in the middle um, for, for something new to emerge. And 
I think I think it's it's a moment for us to reflect more about go deeper into the complexity into the root causes of the problems, and not to stay on the yes on the surface yeah of, of, of the conflicts that we see. I find that so interesting also in terms of the question of how to live a sustainable life or looking into sustainable brands because I've found this so interesting since I've started this podcast and I've started talking about it with people. I've had friends just completely unexpectedly sending me articles, sending me diagrams, sending me documentaries that they've seen. And I feel like there is often this tension between people and brands wanting to make a difference. But they are on a journey. Everybody is on a journey. It's an iterative process. It's step by step becoming more aware, becoming more educated, taking steps towards making a difference. And I I really don't like this idea of people boycotting brands that are making an effort but that aren't completely there yet because I think it's about making that move in that direction and I think what you were saying just now in terms of the awareness of the complexity behind all of these issues if you're aware of it only then you can start to change things and you can't expect perfection from the very first moment Exactly, yes. And it's like everything, Janice, it's like, I, I don't think anyone is going to change because because you force them to change, you know. Of, of course, you can force them, they will change, but it won't come like a genuine change, right? So I think it's really important that we always stay connected to our hearts and that whatever we do, we do it with kindness and, and with gentleness so that we don't hurt anyone in the process. I think that's really important. Because the last thing we need today is more fear. So if this change is going to happen, it's going it has to happen from it has to come from the heart. And and the only way people can transform is by by loving them without an agenda. And and showing this attitude around us and and waiting for it to for, for this to become contagious and um and to expand, right? Contagious in the most possible, in the most positive way, considering the meaning of the word in contagious. The most way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing, Lucia! Thank you so much. This was really, really wonderful. Yes. No, thank you, Janice. It was so nice. It's always nice talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time, and it's been absolutely fascinating and what i really always love about our conversations is that they range this huge span of topics from business and how to build a business entrepreneurship but all the way to sustainability which is in some ways philosophy and, and how we feel about life and I, i really enjoy that thank you so so much for being here have a really nice evening <laughs>